All right. Well, we're going to turn trials into triumphs. Now, I'm just going to tell you, as Pastor Luke and the others have mentioned, I just, we miss you, each of you. We miss you. I can't wait to hug your neck or even an air hug. I can't wait just to see you. It's going to be so glorious, and it's coming. It's coming soon. I was uh, pleased to hear uh, Vice President uh, Pence uh, say, uh, by June, this should be mostly all behind us. I was saying, good, good job. They, you know, they, they know what's going on, so uh, I'm going to trust them. We're believing God to do great things. But yet, in the, in the midst of this, in the midst of the darkest hour for the American church in a hundred years, I'm telling you, God has just grown our ministry as wide as it's never been. I'm so excited, and that's why we are rushing to finish that building, and uh, we are ordering things and trying to get that work done. In fact, we worked uh, our uh, uh, guitarist over here, Brother Bruno, and Brother Bruno, God bless you. I hope you're okay. We worked him so hard this week, he couldn't even play his guitar today, trying to get that building ready, but uh, we, uh, we're so thankful and excited about what God's going to do. Now, let's turn in our Bibles. We're going to open into the book of James, James chapter 1. This is our second in a series uh, of the Lord willing, three different parts, turning trials into triumphs. Now, I know you wouldn't believe this, but I have been a pastor for decades, and a common occurrence over the years is that I have met people who think they are Christians, and they might be, actually. At least they've certainly made some sort of a religious commitment, and all goes good for a time. When the roses smell just a little sweeter, the sky's just a little bluer, the birds sound just a little better, because they've made this wonderful commitment to God, and they're on the right track. And then a difficulty arises. It might be personal. It might be family, it might be at the business or their job, it might even be a church-related disappointment, certainly those happen. And then their faith is tested. And then sadly, rather than finding comfort in God and finding strength in the Scriptures, they forsake God. The trial doesn't lead to triumph, but rather it leads to tragedy. And I wish I could say it's rare, but Frankly, folks, I meet people all the time who used to go to church. I heard one person call them a jack Christian. They just, you know, they're just not going anymore. They're just kind of out there just flopping around. And it's sad. It, it's tragic. And that's exactly, the very exact thing that James, the Holy Spirit, spoke to Brother James and said, look, we've got to stop this. We've got to do something for these people because they're going to be going through some difficult seasons. The early church, when James was speaking to these folks, were uh, being uh, oppressed by the government. They were food deprived. There were shortages everywhere. They were in slavery. They were being mistreated. Uh, it's an awful lot like what's going on really today. And he said, in the midst of all of this, you can't let these sufferings take you down. You can't let these things bring you down, but rather bring you to a new place in your life. And in this first few verses here, one of my favorite passages in all Scripture, he gives us six definite actions to take, tests, to transform our trials into triumphs. Well, we're going to look into this word here, but before we do, you know, I know 
I had to smile this week. A lot of people, I know I do, I have cabin fever. Boy, I just want to get out and people get cooped up. And sometimes uh, the close quarters, you know, kind of has a little difficulty in, uh, in the home life. I heard about a little boy that was sitting on his front steps and face was cradled in his hands and he was looking so forlorn. His dad came home and asked, what's wrong, son? And the little boy looked up at him and said, well, Dad, just between you and me, I'm having trouble getting along with your wife, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's some folks I read about, they're single, and they're having a hard time getting along with herself. And so this, uh, this is not a good time, this sheltering in place, for sure. Well, uh, we're going to ask God's blessing on the message today, all right? Would you join me? Let's pray. Father, oh God, I pray that this morning, oh God, that you will just draw us into your word. Holy Spirit, use this time to transform our lives. Give us, Lord, new grace and give us uh, your special strength as we look forward and see you working in a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. Trials, troubles, adversity, tough times. Everybody has them. Nobody gets a pass on the burdens of life. It's how you carry those burdens that's the key. In building these buildings, uh, I uh, volunteered a few hours uh, in the early days, actually several days a week, uh, and one of the things that there's so much of in these buildings is uh, drywall, and uh, we don't call it sheetrock anymore, and Brother Del Rosario, if you're listening right now, you, you are not allowed to say sheetrock, because uh, that Filipino accent just uh, didn't work real well, but uh, anyway, uh, we... We put up all this drywall, and I will tell you, when I tried to put up that carry, and it's about 50 pounds for a typical sheet of, not, we're not talking about the big giant ones, but this is just a normal sheet. Uh, I, I tried to carry that. I mean, I, I tried every which way. Finally, somebody who's very experienced said, uh, Pass, let me show you. And so he leaned it down, and he, you take your hand like this, and you turn it backwards, and then you lean the sheetrock against your shoulder, Man, you can just carry that thing all around. It's like unbelievable. Isn't that amazing how that works? You see, it's not the, it's not the uh, weight of the burden. It's how you carry the burden. And that's the same thing is true in life. These trials that we have, they're so awkward. And man, I can't even do this. And yet, if you carry it right, you can get through this. And so how do you carry it right? Well, there are six steps. First of all, a joyful attitude. That's what we talked about last week. Count it all joy. The word count means to think ahead, get some premature nostalgia, think about all the benefits, and get a good attitude. Come on, folks, get a better attitude, honestly. Um, let's get a good attitude about life, and if we do so, that just transforms everything. Number two, not only a joyful attitude, but a solid believing. Verse three, part A says, knowing there's some things you've got to know. If you don't know these things, it's not going to work. It's not going to go well at all. You've got to know some things. Know it. I know this. I know that I know that I know that I know that I know. Do you know it? When you know it, it'll be a blessing to you. It'll be a rock to you, as Pastor Luke said this morning. It will be your anchor. Anchor your tent down. Remember that illustration I mentioned of our one-time tent camping idea of man. I found out you've got to anchor that thing because the winds are going to blow. 
And so you've got to have something solid. That's why you go to church. That's why you read the Bible, because it gives you something solid. It gives you an anchor. All right, number three, let's uh, continue on now. A trusting patience. Let's read verse three together and verse four. All right, Are you got your Bible out? All right, read it together now. Now, some of our folks, by the way, they say you multiply uh, 1.5 for every view. At the home church, we have some people have 14 kids. So uh, the multiplier in that case is 20. But anyway, uh, so I know there are families, whole families right now that are listening. So I want you all to read your Bible together. Ready? All right, let's read it together. James 1, verses 3 and 4. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. That's the key. The trying of your faith, it is a trial. But let, verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. The word patience there is actually the word endurance. And as we go through things in life, we're forced to struggle. Struggling is actually good. No fun, but actually very good. Because in struggling, as it says, we develop endurance or perseverance. In turn, that gives greater strength for the next trial. Now, there's all kinds of exercising that people do nowadays. There are different kinds of workouts, and you can go to the gym, you can go here, you can do there. And uh, There is a type of exercise called resistance exercise. Then that is where you use your own body weight as resistance, push-ups, sit-ups, chin-ups, squats, so forth. And for some of us, that's uh, quite a bit of resistance there. And so you're lifting some serious uh, pounds. Uh, when I uh, was, uh, had uh, sh- uh, surgery on my shoulder, uh, when I was done, the physical, physical therapist gave me these little big giant rubber bands. He said, just wrap it around a doorknob or something, and, and then you pull on it. They call those resistance bands. It, it all worked well until it came loose. And... Uh, but anyway, um, those are resistance bands. They, they create uh, strength and endurance. And boy, at first, you know, after that um, shoulder, shoulder <laughs> anyway, after they worked on my shoulder, um, it was uh, hard. But after a while, I was able to do so little by little. Now, folks, that's what God is doing, as it says here in this verse. He is bringing exercise bands into our life. So we'll get tough. God needs tough Christians so that we get out there and make a difference. And I will tell you, right now, the church of America is going through some crazy things. For the first time in a modern America history, many state and local governments have outright, like California, have outright told churches that they are not essential and they may not assemble together. Now, let's be clear about this. Churches are very essential, (laughs) and they are much more essential than our government. Trust me, I'll tell you that, just my personal opinion. (laughs) But I will tell you, folks, as never before, churches are essential. They're essential spiritually, for sure. But you know, the churches benefit our communities so much in so many different social services. And in my opinion... If you can have an alcohol store open, and they are, they're called an essential business, if a cannabis store can be called an essential business, 
then I would say under the Constitution of the United States, a church ought to be able to remain open. Amen? As long as we practice uh, social distancing, all we're supposed to do. But now, with that being said, a lot of people are kind of wondering, what should we do? What are, you know, which, uh, where are we going? Let me just say this. With all of that being said, I really believe that as a church, we want to be part of the solution and not the problem. I think we want to, uh, we can be patient. And I, and I guess that's what I'm saying here. God's just given me a sense of patience in this whole thing. He's just given me a sense that I can trust Him. Haven't I done so many great things? Trust me. And so we're confident that the Lord will tell us when to reopen. And let me just say, we've never closed. <laughs> People say, when are you going to reopen church? Well, we never closed. <laughs> we never closed. In fact, if anything, we have leaned into this thing more than ever. Our, I thank God for our staff. i tell you one thing, they are working harder than ever. Thank God for them. Why? Because at a time like this, we need the essential services of a church. And yet, can we be patient? Yes, we can. I can be patient, and so can you. We can make this. It might be a few more weeks. Uh, uh, I'm looking forward, maybe June, who knows? But here's what I know. God has always done me right, and I know He'll do us right again. One of the greatest Bible examples, I think, of someone who just knew how to wait on God and knew how to see God work in his life, a trusting patience, was Moses. Mighty Moses. Mighty Mo. I love Brother Moses. I tell you what, I love that man. He is a bulldog for God. He's one of those guys who just made things happen. That was Moses. He made things happen. The book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the great who's who of the Old and New Testament. Here, they describe Moses. Look at Hebrews 11, verse 26 with me. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. How did he do such a thing? For he had respect under the recompense of the reward. Now, I know that's a lot of English wording there, a little bit of old English. But what it's saying is, is that how did Moses develop a a godly patience? How did he develop this sense of trusting God in the moment? It says he set his mind, or he had respect. He trusted God. It says he esteemed. The word there is the idea for weighing something, and it very definitely says that. He esteemed, or he weighed, the riches of Christ. Have you ever played with one of those uh, hanging pendulum scales, you know, that have little things hanging down, and how you put one on one side, one thing's on the other side, and you kind of balance them out. Well, here's what Moses did. He put the worst thing about being a follower of Christ on one scale, and then on the other scale, he put the best that the world could offer, the treasures of Egypt. He came to the conclusion, the worst day of my faith in God far outweighs the best day I ever had in the world. He said, I just weighed the two, and he said, no contest. God's people have always been a reproached people. And I will say this, you know, the American church, frankly, I think we needed a wake-up call. I'll just be honest, I think we do. I think we need a wake-up call. There are many of our brothers and sisters who have been under such persecution. You think of the Chinese church. They have always had this kind of government overlordship. And thank God, we've had a free America for all these years. And, but I'll tell you what, we've, we can see how quickly it can be taken away. And so I'm, 
saying that we have been a reproached people as God's people. And here in America, now we're getting a sense of that. But can we be patient? Yes, we can be patient. How was Moses patient? Look at verse 24. He was patient until he came of years. Not just years of aging, but years of experience. What brought him to a point of trusting God? Years of experience, coming to age, as it says. He just grew up. He got old in the Lord. And as a result of that, he was able to trust God. Now let's go back to James chapter 1, verse 4. It says, but let patience have its perfect work. The word patience there is the Greek word hupomone. I'm not talking about spumoni ice cream now. Hupomone. It actually comes from two words, which means to be over something and to rule over. It's actually a military term. It's meaning putting yourself in the place that you're in. If you're a private, you don't act like a general. Putting yourself under your leaders. You know, uh, occasionally, uh, young men and young women from our church uh, go off into the military, and we thank the Lord for that. Others uh, go off into the military, maybe with some ideas. You know, it's kind of exciting to get away from the home. And others think, you know what? It'll be good to get away from all the rules. <laughs> Only to find out when they go to the military, <laughs> guess what? It's all about rules. And one of the things you've got to learn very quick is where to place yourself. If you're a private down there, you better just... Do what you're supposed to do, because that sergeant, he's going to get right in your face. And here's what God says about patience. He said, you need, to, you need to put yourself under. Put yourself in a position where God is your boss. Just say, God, you've placed me in this position. I trust you. You're my commander-in-chief. I can trust you. I can commit my way to you. And I want you to notice this little... Uh, notice this little um, chain effect here. Look at this verse. Let, let patience have its perfect work. Let and have. Those are two uh, connected words there. It's meaning it's a process. Let the process work. Don't get in the middle of it because you'll mess it up. Um, my wife and I, uh, my wife is an excellent cook. Every once in a while she lets me kind of experiment there. And so, uh, Recently, I tried doing a little bit of bread baking, and I'm not talking about from scratch. We just, you know, get these little things, and uh, they're little frozen loaves, and you put them in the oven. They're just great, but the deal is you got to let them rise first. Now, I've messed them up every single time. I think once out of all of it, it's been perfect, but at one time, it didn't rise enough, and those things were like, uh, it was like a, like a log. I mean, it was so hard, you couldn't even get a knife through it. Then another time, I put two of them on a big old plate, and uh, they grew together, and I said, man, you can't have bread touching each other, so I decided I'd move them. Well, guess what? You're not supposed to move something until you bake those things, because I moved them, and they went, they like a big, <laughs> what happened? And then, now, here's what I found out. If you get in the middle of that process, it, you're going to mess it up. Let have. God says, patience and this trusting sense, it is a chain reaction. Let it have its uh, all the way through. It's kind of like a washing machine, you know. Don't stop it halfway. I never can figure out what a washing machine's doing anyway. I mean, they always make noise. But don't stop it in the wash cycle, or you're going to have some really slimy clothes. Let it get rinsed, then let it all get drained out, 
Let the cycle happen. That's what God is saying. Let patience have its work. You know what? I'm on God's wheel right now, and God's got me like a big lump of clay, and He's working me over. Takes a little while for that to get worked out. All right, Lord. Hoopamone. Stay under there. Let God be the commander-in-chief. Let Him do what He's going to do. Say, Lord, you just do what you got to do. As long as I know we're together on this, and as long as I know that we're close, I'm good. Don't you love to read about uh, the Apostle John in Scripture? I love John. The Bible calls him John the Beloved. Another place says the one who leaned on Jesus' breast. Now, folks, I got to tell you something. Brother John was an unusual guy. He, was a, he went from a son of thunder, as Scripture called he and his brother, to this man who was just just, just real caring, uh, very uh, gentle guy. In fact, it says... He always had to be the one close to Jesus. I mean, he just pushed people out of the way. I'm going to, I'm going to be right next to Jesus. That's, that's what he said. In fact, it says he leaned on him. Now, he didn't practice social distancing, I can tell you that right now. But he was leaning on Jesus. And here is John. Jesus didn't explain everything to John, but that was okay. John just said, that's all right. As long as I can be close, we're good. I'm good. You know, it's kind of like a child. Uh, you know, they, as long as they know mom and dad are close by. I read that, you know, there's going to be some serious trouble for pets after all this shelter in place is over. They say our pets are going to suffer separation anxiety. We're going to go back to work, and those poor little dogs are going to be all day. They've been with their master all that time. I mean, folks, it's going to be a great boon for, for uh, veterinary psychologists for sure, but um, you know, those poor animals are going to be separated from their master. Not me, bless God. I want to be close to my master. Amen. I want to, I want to be like John. You don't have to tell me everything. Just let me lean close. As long as I can hear your heartbeat, I'm good. I'm good. That's what David said. I've learned how to rest in God. Psalm 37 and verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Don't you love that sound? Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Have you ever had your doubts about someone? Maybe doubts about their skills or doubts about uh, their character or whatever. Just you've had doubts. I remember when we were first uh, starting uh, all the concrete work on this building. I mean, uh, it's it, who knows how many thousands and thousands of yards of concrete we've had to do. Well, uh, concrete work's pretty strange stuff, I will tell you. We had some people that were helping us and they, uh, we didn't really know them real well, but they seemed like they knew what they were doing, at least to, to a point. In my head, I was thinking now, okay, you know, you probably should do this, and you probably should do that, and I was getting a little nervous. I didn't think, feel like they were doing what they were supposed to do. I mean, you know, they were waiting around, and I was thinking, you know, what, what? and then all of a sudden, you know, concrete has this chemical in it, and at this moment, it all turns, and it goes from this sloppy big loop of mud to this quickly hardening, you better know what you're doing moment. And then I watched them all like this beautiful orchestra. They were all working. I was thinking, all my fears, all my wondering, I should have just trusted them. They were experts. Folks, trust God. He's an expert. I know it looks like a bunch of messy mud right now, but he's an expert. 
And when it's the right time, he's going to be out there working. Trust God. David said, I'm resting in the fact that God is smart. He's wise. I can trust him. Here's what James points out. He said, the side benefit of all this, not only does all this thing get done, but he said, you get blessed as well. Look at the last part of verse 4. That you may be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. God's just making me perfect. (laughs) You say, you think you're perfect? No, I don't think I'm perfect. I'm just saying, I think God's making me perfect. Actually, the word there just means complete. It just means like, you know, someone finishing a picture and stepping back and saying, you know, perfect. The Greek word there is the same, a derivative of the same word on the Jesus on the cross when he said it is finished to telestai, which means it's a masterpiece, finished, that you may be finished like a masterpiece, an entire wanting nothing, finished, as he says. Back in the day, they used to have finishing school. I think maybe we might need to resurrect those finishing schools. <laughs> I, saw some of the, I saw this young man walking down the street the other day, poor guy. I don't know, they don't make belts, I guess, anymore, but his poor pants were all the way down to his knees. And I wanted to go over there and say, son, did you need a, uh, a belt? We could help you get one. But anyway, I think finishing school might be all right. <laughs> Amen. Let's get the finishing schools back. But uh, that aside, God wants to finish us. God wants to finish us. He wants to make us beautiful so that we can be a great advertisement for him. For those of you that know know. Uh, this uh, handsome young man that was up here a little bit earlier with that big uh, uh, red uh, Scottish beard there, he is uh, my oldest son. And that's, uh, he's, uh, he's always been such a special one for us, but I can remember back for his first haircut. And we went to that, uh, that barber, back in the day we went to a real barber, you know. I'm not talking about one of those little uh, happy boys, you know. I'm talking about a real barber, you know. They put the little thing around you, put the thing on, you know, put the, like that there, you know, and they brush your hair like that. And, and poor Luke, he was looking at everything. And when that guy got that big old buzzer coming at him, I mean to tell you, poor Luke, he just, he flipped his noodle. And uh, I said, son, calm down. It's all right. And I mean to tell you, I had to do everything, bribe him, you know, take duct tape and take, duct tape him to the chair there. I mean, whatever it took. And I mean, it was terrible. Finally, we got it done, his first haircut. And uh, the barber uh, on the way out said, you better get that boy to change or you don't bring him back. <laughs> I said, all right. I wanted to give him one, you know. But uh, I said, he, you know, man, we, coming at you with a big old pair of scissors, you'd probably be that way too. But you know what? That trial of his faith made him ready. Boy, he had a nice-looking haircut and uh, made him ready. That's what God's doing to us. God's got us in his barber chair, and he's working us over. Oh, I don't, I'm scared. But God said, I'm working on you here. I'm making you beautiful. I'm finishing you. I'm finishing you. That's what James said. That's the benefit of all this. God's working us over. Peter said the same thing. Here's his prayer in chapter 5, verse 10 of 1 Peter. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, <laughs> after you have suffered a while, like a, like a, like a piece of pizza and a big oven, you know, after you've been in there 10 minutes, take them out. After you have been in the cooker for a while, he will make you perfect and establish and strengthen and settle you. 
A lot of S's there. He makes us perfect after we're settled for a while. And I will say, this is, a, this is an important message for the American church. I'm, I'm afraid we've gotten a little bit uh, lax. I'm afraid we've uh, kind of taken things for granted. Maybe we ought to go back to the Old Testament prophet of Amos. Amos chapter 6 and verse number 1, woe unto them that are at ease in Zion. Here is uh, Amos's famous sermon, those that are at ease in Zion. I'm on a cruise ship for Jesus. That's what he was basically saying. Let me tell you a little bit about this story, this man named Amos. We're talking several hundred years before the time of Christ, Jeroboam II was the king. It's a small little town called Bethel. They're about ready to have a religious service. And a man walks in with a dress on, and he stands up and begins to say something. And it's going to be a wonderful, beautiful little religious uh, convocation. When all of a sudden, outside that little building, there's this rustling going on. And they hear somebody shouting. They go outside the building look outside there, and there's this hill guy, this guy from the mountains, rough clothing by the name of Amos. His name means burden. <laughs> you know, if your name is burdened one, <laughs> you're going to be a fiery person. And Amos has been called by God to preach and tell Israel that you've been, you've been sitting around when you out, ought to be out there doing something for God. All of Israel kept saying, yes, we're waiting for the Messiah. We're waiting for the Messiah. Amos said, you're not prepared for the Messiah, and he's not going to come. Get ready for the Messiah. Woe to those that are at ease in Zion. I'll tell you one thing. I think that's what's happened. I think, um, I think Amos stood up about uh, two months ago and said, America, American church, you are at ease in Zion. And so he has brought about this, uh, God has allowed this sickness, and while it's been tragic, I'll tell you one thing, it is waking us up. The late Adrian Rogers said, faith that hasn't been tested can't be trusted. And that's one of the great reasons for trials. It creates a trusting patience. I can trust God. I can be patient. I can put myself in this situation knowing that my commander-in-chief's got it all worked out. And the side benefit is I'm being finished as a Christian. I've gone to finishing school. All right, number three, a trusting patience. Now, number four, and this morning that will be our last one, a praying wisdom. What is the fourth way to turn a trial into a triumph? I don't want to be one of those people who someone comes along and says, yeah, I used to go to church. Yeah, I used to be into God. No, I want to be one of those people that just keep going ahead for Jesus. How do you do that? You must have a praying wisdom. What do I mean by that? Look at verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. If you want to turn trials into triumphs, you absolutely must pray. God is calling us constantly to a life of prayer. You'd say, praying for what? That the trials will be gone? No. Although certainly nothing wrong with praying that way. Certainly David prayed often that way in the book of Psalms we see. Nothing wrong with praying that the trials would be gone, especially for others. But really, 
The key in all of it is to pray that God would give me wisdom. Wisdom. Now you say, what is wisdom, pastor? Well, wisdom, being wise. Immediately, for those maybe who have not been around church much, around the Bible, they think of maybe some movie set they've seen with somebody from the Far East and saying, grasshopper, you must be wise. Grasshopper, make sure you are a wise one. Never sit on hot concrete in the middle of the sun. And also, wise master one, wise. No, that's not what we're talking about. What is wisdom? Wisdom is a biblical understanding of the issues of life. Wisdom. (laughs) I was looking at our views, of, uh, and I noticed you can put a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I'm sure as this message has gone on, I'm getting a few thumbs down. I've just about offended quite a few people already. But um, what is wisdom? Wisdom is a biblical understanding of the issues of life. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Wisdom is the God-given ability to perceive the true nature of a matter and implement the will of God as found in Scripture. And one rogue said to this way, and I love it, wisdom is the reward you get for listening to God when you would have preferred to have talked. Biblical wisdom is at its premium during trials. Folks, anybody can be happy. Anybody can have a good marriage, can have good you know, health. Everybody can, when everything's going good, I mean, you're just on autopilot and you're just moving along. But it's during the trials that the wisdom of God is so precious to us. Why is this going on and what's happening? How do we do that? Here's what David said and here's how he found Psalm 16, verse 8, he said, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. You can't get too depressed when you know God's in the middle of everything. God is sovereign over everything. Where do you go for wisdom, friend? Do you go to the psychologist? There might be some ones that could help you. I'm not sure. Sometimes I think they need the help more than anybody else. But sometimes we go to a psychologist. Others go to their horoscope. Others find their wisdom, maybe in a country or a rock song, Uh, or others go to science. (laughs) Have you been noticing today, everybody's talking about science? Science should lead the way. Science. Well, I am all for science when it's good science, but this junk science that is uh, riddled with presuppositions certainly has no wisdom in it. But real science maybe could give us some knowledge, but wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Look at verse 5. And if any of you lack wisdom, you may have knowledge, but do you have wisdom? If you lack wisdom, what do you do? Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll go, I'll go to, the, you know, to, to this country and I'll you know, get a guru and I'll find wisdom. No. Oh, I'll read a book. No. You need to get into God's book. You need to ask God. Two things God says to do here. Write them down. Two things. Ask. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask. Now, this is in the present tense verb here, which indicates you probably are going to have to ask more than once. Did you get that? You're probably going to have to ask more than once. The word there means let him ask. The word is ask and ask, 
and ask and ask. You'd say, well, how do I get the wisdom of God? Do I need to say some special little words? Do I need to sprinkle some little water and say some, you know, and do I need to wear a little dunce hat? Do you know, what do I have to do in order to get wisdom? I can tell you what you need to do to get wisdom. Just ask. Just ask. Ask. Ask and ask and ask. The second part, ask God. Ask God, not Abby. I don't know, dear Abby may be a wonderful lady. I have no idea. Some of the things I've read, I don't read a lot of them, but every once in a while I've read them, I've thought, whoo, boy, I tell you what, someone needs to send her to counseling school for sure. But she doesn't have, she may have knowledge, but she definitely doesn't have wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. Ask God. Now, here's the caveat here in all of this. If you're going to ask God, you've got to be ready to obey. Don't ask God if you're not going to obey. I don't like that. I didn't know. <laughs> no. I asked God, this is what he told me, I'm not going to do it. Well, then you're not going to have wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. I think one of the greatest examples of finding the wisdom of God has to be Job. What an amazing, amazing guy. One of the most well-known stories in the Old Testament, a wealthy landowner, a father, a wonderful hero of the faith, stripped of everything, and yet uh, he had faith in God. And the one thing he realized was that God was teaching him wisdom. And so he was asking God, and God was giving him that wisdom. Go to Job chapter 28 and verse 12, where shall wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? This is a rhetorical question. He's saying, you know, everybody's asking, where are the answers? And that's what everybody's saying today. You know, well, nobody has the answers. Yes, somebody has the answers. <laughs> well, nobody has all, know what to do. Yes, somebody knows what to do. God knows what to do in the midst of this pandemic that we're in. Verse 13 of that same chapter, man knoweth not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. God said, wisdom is not in this world. It's out of this world. Verse 14, the depth said, it is not in me, and the sea saith, it is not with me. Here he is personifying, you know, parts of nature. Here he's talking about the ocean, the depths of the sea. You're not going to be able to get into a submarine, go to the deepest part of the Marianas Trench, find some advanced underwater extraterrestrial civilization. Aquaman will tell us what to do. No, no. <laughs> Here, God said, you can't go to the depths of the sea and find some wisdom. It's not going to happen. Verse 15, it's not going to come from gold. It cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. You can't buy wisdom. I must tell you of late, and I'm sure you're with me on this, I have been shaking my head in disbelief at some of those uh, politicians who, though rich, Obviously, we're not able to buy wisdom because some of the things the left-wing politicians are saying are just unbelievably ludicrous. Take, for example, the governor of Michigan, Whitmer. She said, and I quote, abortion is essential in our state, but churches are not. They asked her, why should we allow abortion clinics to continue, 
And she said, because abortions are life-sustaining. Her words. Life-sustaining. Okay, last time I checked, an abortion snuffs out a life. It doesn't sustain a life. But you think, what in the world? And that's what God is saying here. He's saying, Job is saying, I've seen the rich people. They don't have the answers. Uh Uh-uh. The depth doesn't have the answers. The answers come from out of this world. Verse 21, it's hid from the eyes of those that are living and kept close from the fowls of the air. God said, you can't go off into space and find answers. You know, I used to watch Star Trek. The final frontier, going where no man has gone before. We're going to find answers to the beginning of civilizations that will help us. I already know the beginning of civilization, and I don't need any more answers. I've got all the answers I need. I've got the Word of God, the blessed Word of God. I've got all the answers I need, and so do you, friend. You don't need to get on a starship. I'm not opposed to flying around and do whatever they do out there for whatever purpose. But folks, that's not where the answers are. Verse 28, and he said unto him, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And he goes on to talk about, in the midst of my trials, Job was saying, I found the fear of the Lord. I found that my human problem needs a divine solution. And you need that too. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, my, one of my favorite verses. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Many times when I'll sign a Bible or sign a little letter, I'll put Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It says in that verse, don't lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding or you'll be in big trouble. I've heard people say, I just listen to my gut. I just listen to my gut. My uh, my dear friend, Pastor Mike, and if you're listening, Brother Mike, you know I love you. We, uh, we are on different wavelengths when it comes to things like food. Now, we like both like food, but uh, I eat on schedule. He eats whenever he says he's hungry. I said, good night. If I ate when I was hungry, I would weigh 5,000 pounds I, because I'm always hungry. I can't listen to my gut. I've got to tell my gut. People say, well, I just listen to my gut, and I just do what my gut says. Folks, you don't need your gut. You need God in your life. That's what you need. That's where we find our strength when God gives it to us. One Christian woman told me, she said, I prayed about marrying my unbelieving fiance, and I had a peace about it. Friend, you need wisdom, not some kind of fake peace. And too many people are just going with their gut when they ought to go with God. Solomon was facing a whole career choice. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? And God said, you need wisdom. First Kings chapter 3 and verse 5, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, ask what I will give you. A, a genie in a bottle moment, you know. What would you have? Solomon thinks about, oh, what would I want? What would I want? Verse 7, oh, Lord my God, I am but a little child, and I know not how to go out or come in. <laughs> Even though he was a young adult, he said, Basically, and in the Hebrew, you read that, it says, I'm a moron. I'm a moron, God, and I need you. Verse 9, give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people. Folks, nobody can go through life without the wisdom of God. Trials bring out the pain so difficult. It's hard to even 
make wise decisions when everything is going good, but when things are going bad, folks, we need wisdom. And that's what trials do. Trials get us to a point where we ask for wisdom. And when your loved one's going through difficult times, you hear that doctor say they've got cancer and you're trying to figure out what to do. Folks, God gives you wisdom. Sometimes we'll say something like, well, it's in God's hands now. Folks, it's always been in God's hands. It's always been in God's hands. And when life knocks you to your knees, that's, you're now in a great position to pray and to get the wisdom of God. Notice what it says, who giveth to all, look back in James chapter one, who giveth to all men liberally. You got to love that. <clears throat> you got to love that verse right there. I do. He gives to all men. Now, there are times when I feel like I'm pretty good. I'm on my game, you know, I've got my Christian walk going pretty good. But there are other times I'm like, man, this is, this is rough. I don't feel like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. But God said, I give to all people who are really doing good wisdom. No, he said, I give to all men. <clears throat> I give to all men liberally. By the way, the word liberally there means unconditionally, really. That's actually what it means. God said, I give to all men liberally. The common viewpoint of God is that we've got to pry things out of his hand. God said, no, I've got an open hand. In fact, he goes on in that verse, say, I will never upbraid you. That's an old English way of saying, I will never shame you. I will never reproach you. The attitude of God is that he wants to help you. Just ask. I love that verse in Psalm 81 and verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Here he is liking us to a little bird. You've seen those little birds in the nest, you know, little fuzzy headed, you know, a couple of hairs coming up, big old beaks, you know, and you know, there's like, you know, and they've got this big old giant mouth. Open your mouth wide. You don't have to be a big beautiful, lovely bird with all its feathers and can get your own food. You can just be one of those crazy, nutty looking little baby birds. But if you'll open your mouth wide, I will put it into your mouth. God said, open your mouth wide. He said, I gives to all men liberally. This is this verse, honestly, about my favorite verse in the Bible. And I'll tell you why. Because there are a lot of times when I don't feel like I've got faith. There are a lot of times when I don't feel like I'm really where I'm supposed to be, but I can always ask for wisdom. Sometimes I don't know the will of God, and I doubt, should I pray this? And so often I'll pray like this, like you and I do. <laughs> We'd say, and Lord, if it is your will, and nothing wrong with that, but honestly, I think sometimes that's kind of a cop-out. I think we ought to try to know the will of God. I think we ought to try to find the will of God. I think we ought to search the Scripture to get the will of God and then claim those promises and hold them up to God and say, God, you promised this. But honestly, as much as I believe that and as much as I try to do that, there are, are times when I don't have that faith. But I always have faith when I pray this verse, always. God, I need wisdom. I never have to feel like I'm smart. I never have to feel like I'm on my game because I always need wisdom. Solomon said, God, I'm a, I just, I don't know anything. Fill me, Lord. I got to lead this great people. I need wisdom. You never have to dance around with God when you're asking for wisdom. You never have to wonder if you know God. I recently heard about a group of young men in Holland. 
who were trying to break the world's record for domino toppling. You know, those little dominoes, you set them all up, and then you just push that first one, and they all begin to topple over. Everybody's done that, right? Well, they set up these dominoes, tens of thousands of them. But they knew that uh, they better have some fail-safe moments or else something's going to go. So they put it in a big warehouse, closed all the doors, locked all the windows, and about every thousand dominoes they put a little block in so that if something did happen, all their many, many hours wouldn't uh, go out the window. Well, it was a good thing they did that because a little sparrow got in and it came over there and knocked over one of those dominoes and it began to go and stopped. I was thinking about that story this week. I, I've always loved to see how those dominoes go. But I thought, you know, there's a lot of people I know whose lives are like those dominoes. One little event after another, one little decision after another, and yet so many of them are just standing alone and at any second could topple over. And they don't have one fail safe. That's why right now when this pandemic, people are going, oh, oh, what do I do? You know, hey, all those dominoes are beginning to fall now. You've been living out there on the edge and now it's falling. Friend, you need Jesus. Jesus is the fail safe. The word of God is the block that stops it all from going over. It is the thing to lean into God more than ever before. I've asked our worship team to come and they're going to come and we're going to sing. We sang it a little bit earlier in the service. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And for those of you that are joining us here this morning around the world or wherever time it is in your zone, I remind you that God is sovereign and God is over all. And through all of our trials, he's trying to turn them into triumphs. Pray for wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Go to God and say, God, I know that you've got a plan for me. Have a joyful attitude. Think about all that God is planning to do. Have a solid believing in your life. Make sure you anchor it in the Word of God. Trust God. Trust God.